Let me introduce you to Fred's. Where is he? Over there. Uh, Fred's was our guide through all of the compassion trip in the Philippines. And uh, as we went along with him, we got to know his story. He was a compassion child, sponsored child himself. And so, so grew up in poverty with his uh, parents and his siblings. But through the support that uh, the Compassion Sponsorship gave, he uh, had the opportunity to come to know Jesus, so he became Christian, and to, uh, he, he's a very smart man, and so he was able to have the opportunities to learn and then to go to college, and uh, was a university lecturer until he decided to uh, give that away to be part of the Compassion team in the Philippines. But uh, one thing uh, that was interesting about Fred's was he uh, he has a girlfriend, but they have an issue. And uh, before they, you know, obviously as a team, we joked about whether, whether he should get married or not. And his issue with his girlfriend is he only wants to adopt children, underprivileged children like his, like his background, whereas his girlfriend obviously uh, would like some... Uh, of uh, her own children, and uh, you know us on the team thought, well, why not? Why not have both? But he, he in particular, has such a heart for uh, for the children in need who may not have uh, mother or father, may not know the love that a parent can give, that he particularly only wants uh, to have uh, if he gets married to to adopt children. Amazing commitment to those who he who are not his by birth but whom he chooses to love. And in a little way this that reminds me of God in our passage from Hosea today. This passage is God portrayed as a father showing immense love to an adopted son. And so uh we are turning, we're starting a new series in Hosea, last 11 chapters. Uh, so you might want to turn back to Hosea, that might take you a little while to, to find the little book in the Old Testament. And chapter 11 is in three parts, is in three parts. And the first part is about the father and the son. So the book of Hosea from the Old Testament, written in the 8th century before Jesus. And so it's dealing with the people of Israel, God's uh, chosen people. And here in verse 1, we see God calling Israel, my son. So both the men and the women of Israel are called God's son. Have a look, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt... I called my son. See the love that God has for his people. And it says, out of Egypt I called my son. And so God has, God's going all the way back to the start of his history with Israel, where there were slaves in Egypt, where they were oppressed, where they had no hope. And at that moment he called them he redeemed them and he adopted them. Let me take you back to Exodus, which says, uh, so when God was explaining to Moses what to do, 
God said to Moses, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. Even back then, God sees his people as his adopted son. It's as if, uh, so when, when we traveled around the Philippines, we went in and through some of the many slums in, uh, in Manila and in the provinces. It's as if someone from the slums has been brought out and now lives in the palace, the Philippine uh, government palace, as it were, with a loving father. That's what God has done here. Have a look at verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. It was uh, taking them by the arms. And then verse 4, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To then I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. See that picture of nurture, of tenderness, of God as father? I'm picturing here a new dad. You can always spot the new dads or the dads with with one child. They're the ones with the most energy in the playground and always uh, chasing their kids over. You can picture them picking up their kids, nestling them uh, cheek to cheek. Now, we've all had mixed experiences of our own fathers, but God here is the archetypal, archetype father. He is the one who models fatherly love. And so look at the tenderness of God in this passage. Look how much he's loved his chosen son. It's like in that second reading, the experience of the son at the start of Jesus' parable. The son is in the father's house. All that is the father's is the son's. And the Father is there. He is with him. He is for him. He loves him. But how has the Son responded to the loving tenderness of God? Have a look again at verse 2. God says, But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. And then halfway through verse 3, they did not realize it was I who healed them. So what's happened is the son has rejected the father's love, rejected their own adoption, rejected the father's guidance. And so instead of giving honor to God, they give honor to the Baals, to other gods. It's like in Jesus' parable, the son asking for his share of inheritance. Saying, Father, I don't really care about you. All I want is your money. You could be dead. I don't really care. I'm going to get what's mine and I'm going to leave. And so in the parable, he left his father, focusing on a life of his own pleasure. So just like just like the son, I'm sure Israel were enjoying their Worship of the Baals must have been something good, otherwise why would they have done it? But they are far from their heavenly father. And you can see in the passage here the effect it has on God and his heart. When we, when we sin, when we rebel against God in whatever way, it often focuses us on ourselves, go, oh, I feel, I feel guilty. 
or, oh, that has terrible consequences for me. But rarely do we think of how it affects God, our Father, what impact it has on Him. At our church weekend away last weekend, it was great to hear from Andrew Leslie, such precious talks. He said, sin is rupturing the relationship between God and us. It breaks God's heart. It's walking out on him. That's what the son here has done. That moves us to part two in our passage. Part two is the fate of the son. What will happen to this son? Well, if the son leaves the palace, then the only other place he belongs is back to the slums. Have a look at verse five. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God most high. I will by no means exalt them. See what's going to happen? Israel will return to Egypt because they refuse to turn back to God. Uh, that's a metaphor that history will show. They don't literally return to Egypt. Instead, the superpower of the time is Assyria. That's the uh, empire coming uh, from the east. And the Assyrians will come and rule over them. They're the ones that will bring them back to slavery and being prisoners. Israel had turned from the rule of God. And so they'll now be ruled by someone else. And that plays out in our lives, doesn't it? Whenever you turn from your fatherly rule, from God's fatherly rule, you end up being ruled by whatever you turn to. So it's uh, Black Friday this weekend. I've, my Facebook feed is full of full of sales. Uh, we could easily be ruled by what we spend our money on, by what we buy, by what we own. If we give our heart to those things, they will rule over us. Or maybe it's something less tangible. Maybe it's perfectionism. Maybe in our heart we want everything to be perfect. We know that nothing can really be perfect, but it's, we want everything to be just the way I want it. If we give our heart to that, that will become our master. Or if we're living for the approval of someone else, a partner or a boss or your kid's approval, whatever it is, it will rule over your decisions. It will rule over how you see yourself. It will rule over how you spend your time and your money. And so what is ruling your life right now? What is ruling your heart right now? Because if it's not God, the consequences are terrible. Have a look at this quote from the late Tim Keller. He says, if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. 
for the son in Jesus' parable. Turning away from his father led to him being ruled by his pleasures, but his pleasures failed him and it led to ruin. Whatever we turn from God, the father, whatever we turn to, that will rule our lives. We'll be ruled by it to our destruction. And so for Israel, they were turning from the father, worshipping Baals, looking to make an alliance with Assyria, instead of putting their trust in the Lord. And so for Israel, the judgment of God was coming. God handing them over to their enemies. But part three is a twist. There's one final plot twist in our chapter today. And that is when we see the heart of the Father. Because God had every right to give up on his people. They'd turn from him, why don't he just move on, choose someone else? We've all had someone in our history move on from us. You know, for whatever reason, you were once close, but then they left and moved on. It would have been entirely understandable for God to do the same thing for Israel. Just to move on. But look at the heart, look at the heart of God here. Look at how he wrestles even within himself over his wayward son. God had such love for his people. He can't just move on. Look at verse 8. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? They're towns that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah for, uh, for sin. Uh, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. See God's angst among himself? He can't face losing his son. He knows what the son deserves. He goes, now how can I give you up? I know in my fairness, in my justice, I need to bring judgment on you. But my heart also is changed with compassion. And so just like the father in the parable... God says, I will not, verse 9, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. First we see in verse 9, God is fiercely angry at them. They've broken his heart, they've rebelled against his adoption. But, he, but out of his compassion, that won't lead to their ultimate destruction or God's people ending there. He goes, for I am a God, sorry, for I am God and not a man the Holy One among you. So there's this tension in God. He's so fiercely angry, rightly so, at their rejection of him as father. And yet he's so committed to them as his people. How can these things go together? How can they play out so that both the justice of God and the love of God are satisfied? We see the wrestle even in God's heart here. Same for us. How can God love you given your sinful rebelliousness of your adopted father? And yet, how can God deal rightly with you given our sin but show how much he loves you? 
How are these things reconciled? Let me take you to Don Carson. He says, within the larger canonical framework, story of the Bible, the fact that God is God and not a mere mortal, the fact that both his wrath and his love must be satisfied, means that wrath and love will rush forward together until they meet in the cross. The cross of the man who was called out of Egypt by God to be the perfect son, the perfect antitype of Israel. See what's going on here? In Hosea's time, the wrath of God and the love of God, they aren't completely satisfied. They aren't worked out back at this at this point. And so both carry on unresolved. They rush forward until their resolution, until God calls another son out of Egypt. Remember that verse in chapter 1? Uh, today, when, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus turns that into a prophecy. It's quoted in the book of Matthew, referring to Jesus. Jesus had, uh, as, a, as a young boy, was in danger of Herod, uh, of, of him killing him. And so God told him and his family to go to Egypt. And so picking it up from Matthew 2, he, so he got up, this is uh, Joseph the father, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, that's the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. And so Jesus is the true son of God. He wasn't an adopted son, but an eternally begotten son. And his death on the cross is where God's wrath and his love meet. It's where God's wrath is satisfied. Jesus takes our punishment for sin. That's what the cross is. It's a punishment for sin. As we remembered in the Lord's Supper today. But it's also where God's love is displayed. Because on the cross, God does all that is needed for us to be children of God again. And so in Hosea, we get this promise because God knows the cross is coming. Have a look at verse 10. Then they will, so they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. The Lord will roar like a lion. Early, if you read early in Hosea and other parts of the Bible, the lion's roar of God is a terrible thing. It's judgment. But this time, judgment will mean the return of God's people. It's like the cross is the roar of the lion, which means the return of God's people. And so what that means for us, brothers and sisters, is God is calling us to return to him to see his love for you, his adoption for you. Say, no, come back from all that you've given your heart to. Return to me, reject the other idols in your life. Uh, let me close with uh, taking you back to Fred's story. Uh, in the Philippines, the wealthy live in gated villages with uh, high walls around their homes. Uh, it was really strange for me after visiting 
the slums of the Philippines to head to my sister's house in, uh, that's not her house, but, you know, gated village, it's in her village, and uh, to see the security that is all around. For the poor, they have no such protection. There's no security fence, there's no guards at the entrance to the village, there's no locked doors. And so Fred's told this story of when he was young, a young boy, Fred's was home with his father uh, in his small home, which is just which is open. But all of a sudden, in came a drug addict, high and with a gun. And he started shooting his father. And his father's last act was to shield Fred's from the bullets. And then he died. Uh, devastating for Fred's and his family, not just losing a father, but losing the breadwinner. Uh, as Fred's was telling the story, all the compassion team were, were all, all in tears. But Fred tells it this way. They received the autopsy a little while later. And it reported that there were bullet holes in each of his father's hands as he was protecting Fred's. And so for Fred's now, he, as he thinks of his father, he remembers Jesus, whose hands were also pierced out of love for us. God can't face losing his children. He's given us Jesus so that we can be his adopted son. Jesus means his anger doesn't remain on us, but on on the son himself. And so, my brothers and sisters, whatever is in your heart, return to the Lord. Return to God, because he is your father who loves you. Well, we're going to turn now to sing in response and think about our holy God but our holy God who has brought us forgiveness and love in Jesus.